Hey guys, this is Emily Nolan and you're watching Brave Talks. I started this show because I really wanted to have these sofa kind of conversations with women who have really inspired me to be braver and to radically accept myself and have compassion towards myself. Because there was a time in my life when I wasn't so brave and I wasn't so compassionate towards myself and I wasn't so accepting of myself. And so there was a moment in my life when I had, I was sitting in an audience and Amber Valletta walked up on stage. She's a supermodel. And she said, we were at a conference and, and she was speaking and she said, I'm coming out to you today as an addict. And I was jarred. I was so shaken because I was thinking, oh, like, here's another model, which I was modeling at the time. And so I thought, like, what she's going to talk about is something about the beauty or fashion industry. And she instead took a total departure and chose bravery and radical honesty um, to heal herself and this journey that she had been on. And also by doing that, healed everyone else in the audience of that shame, that supposed shame that we have around whatever it is. And for Amber, it was being a drug addict or having alcoholism, whatever it was for her. And for me, I understood addiction as body image addiction. And I had four months before the conference had full body liposuction. And I was on the cover of magazines talking about love your curves and just totally spewing this industry propaganda. And I just felt like such a fraud, even though like I was getting paid to do all of these wonderful things. And I could have just kept riding that roller coaster and that amazing, um, climb. Right. But I instead chose to come home to myself and to be a soft place to land for myself and chose to be brave and soften my heart and, and not know what the future holds, but know that, um, because I'm brave and have compassion to myself, I can do anything. And I don't have to be ashamed of my past and my journey. Although it wasn't like a black and white journey. It wasn't like linear. There were a lot of ups and downs. Um, but that story changed my life. That bravery that Amber shared on stage, whether she knows it or not, changed my life and the trajectory of my journey of radical self-acceptance. So today I have um, Lauren Holiday on the show, and Lauren is an all-star at so many in so many fields of life, and such an inspiration to me um, on many different levels. Um, so, Lauren, I'm going to have you introduce yourself first, and then we'll hop in. Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren <laughs> Holiday. I am a mother to a three-year-old named JT. We call her JT. I'm a wife to Drew, and I'm a retired professional athlete. I was a professional soccer player, and yeah, I'm on this journey. Okay, so when I was talking to my husband, Matt, last night about talking to you today, I was like, she's going to totally gloss over her soccer career, and I'm not letting you get away with that. So share it 
and I'll tell like, and I think it'll translate into where I'm going in the conversation. Okay. I am a two time Olympic gold medalist. I am a world cup champion and I've played on the women. I played on the women's national team from 2007 to 2015. To 2015. Yeah. It's amazing. That's no small feat. And no, no. And then, and then you got pregnant. I got pregnant after I retired. Into, after we won the World Cup in 2015, I retired. I finished out the NWSL season, which is the professional league. I also won that. <laughs> so we won <laughs> the NWSL. And then I retired and I got pregnant in, I retired in October and I got pregnant in and then when you were pregnant, you had a diagnosis. Are you comfortable talking about that? Totally. Okay. I was, I, I was probably three months pregnant, and I remember thinking, like, man, it's so weird that, like, I have to tell myself to swallow when I'm eating food. And so I remember telling a friend, and um, she's a speech pathologist. What happened again? Okay. Sorry. Is that JT? Hi, Angel. Hi. Hi, Hi cutie pie. These are her frozen gloves. Oh, can you sing frozen? Yeah, you can. Okay, Carrie, let me help you. Oh, you Do you want to build a snowman? Ooh. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. No, don't be sorry. We got the JT appearance. Yeah. So where was I? Um, I started, I couldn't swallow. And my friend's a speech pathologist. I told her, she said, don't tell me that. That scares me. Um, and I was like, pregnancy's weird. You know, yeah. like my body feels weird. Everything's weird. Now I can't swallow. But then my, the right side of my face started to go numb. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if this is right. So I asked my doctor, my OB, she said, yeah, that's not right. So she sent me to a dentist first because she thought maybe it was like my gums or something like that. Nothing. They were like, no, you need to see a neurologist. I went to three different neurologists who diagnosed me with MS. Um, it's crazy. Probable MS. They're like, most likely women who are pregnant, MS is usually when it comes out. So I went to three different neurologists. I didn't feel comfortable. I was still having these horrible headaches. Um, so I ended up um, telling them that I needed an MRI. And I really feel like that was a huge thing for me to advocate for myself because they weren't going to give me the MRI. <laughs> this is raw motherhood i know i'm so sorry okay please choose your child that's amazing and hi you know what i told ollie about you today do you know who ollie is remember you saw them on the ollie is my baby you want to know what we did today where is it we cooked your mom's pancakes. This is Ollie's hat, and it barely fits my head. 
<laughs> Do you want to see something funny? You want to see something funny? Okay, you know how yummy your mommy's pancakes are? Which we'll introduce in a second. Let me see. Do you have one? Let's show her. Let's show her. Ready? Mommy already took a bite. <gasps> Ooh, do you like those pancakes? What's the name of them? Moo's. Moo's? Yeah. Is that named after your great grandma? Yeah. Okay. Look at look at my first Moo's pancake. <laughs> Does that look right? That's that's V one. You want to see V two? It gets better. <laughs> you want to see V three? So V three is interesting because V three, I I was really, I was having a hard time in the kitchen, JT, <laughs> and I um. I read this, I watched this YouTube video of this very unqualified guy giving unqualified advice who said, put parchment paper down in a pan if it's sticking. So I ran out of parchment paper because quarantine, life, and so I decided to use a Silpat sheet because I know how to bake. And then look at V3. Would you eat this? No, I wouldn't eat it either. So I'm going to let your mommy eat her amazing, ama actually the batter was great, her amazing pancake with you. And then we can share the recipe with everyone else who knows how to make pancakes. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay, are you going to go play now? I didn't even get the wine. Okay, go get daddy, all right? <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Mom, like, hey, at least I got Ollie down, and the guys in my yard who were like blowing leaves are gone. Um, I totally feel it. Well, they will. The leaf blowers wake Ollie up. No, because we have a sound machine, and I, like, jacked up the volume really loud. That's true. I live by the sound machine. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is quarantine life. We have to do hard things, and we can do them because we're women. <laughs> and we're mamas, and mamas can do anything. Moms do. Oh. oh, yeah. Thank you. Love you. You want to say bye? Hi. Say thanks for having me. Bye, Elsa. <laughs> Okay, where were we? <laughs> so you were saying like your face was getting numb and you were going to get second opinions and third opinions and fourth opinions. Yeah, and then one night, um, Drew and I were, were in between. We live in New Orleans, we live in California. And we had come back from one of my doctor's appointments in New Orleans. And he had left the day before I did. 
because he had something in California the next day, but I was going to stay an extra day and pack some a few things. And that night, I was woken up by a migraine. It was horrible, the worst migraine I've ever had. So bad that I was scared that I should call 911. So to calm myself down, because I thought I was being irrational, I put myself in the bathtub and I started to like, okay, what what's happening to me? Like, I know something's wrong. What's happening? Um, and so the next morning, I didn't really sleep that night. I woke up and I called my friend and I was like, I have to get an MRI. Like, is there any way you can pull any strings? Like, I just have to get an MRI. And they called me back and they said, we can get you in today. We'll get you an MRI. So I ended up going to the hospital with uh, my friend and I had the MRI and I knew right away. The MRI tech, he was an older man. It, he was like my dad's age and he sees this woman with a pregnant belly. I think I was six months pregnant at the time, five or six months pregnant. And he sees this woman with a pregnant belly and he's he's so worried. Like I can see the worry in his face. I can hear it in his voice. And I get done with the MRI and he says, can you stay here? Like, don't leave, stay here. He's like, you don't have to go to the waiting room, just stay here. And he's like, a doctor's gonna call you. And probably within five minutes, I had a phone call from one of the doctors, my, the neurologist. And he said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you don't have MS. The bad news is you have a really large brain. And I just remember like instant tears in my eyes. And the only thing I could think of is what happens to her. Mm -hmm. You know, I have this baby in my belly and like, yeah, maybe something happens to me, but what happens to her? Anything that happens to me happens to her. And uh, I don't even think I was able to ask many questions other than is it cancer? And that they said they didn't believe it was cancer. And so that was like the good news out of it. My husband got, a, um, got on a plane immediately. He met me back in New Orleans and we started our journey from there. My gosh. And then after your, so you went in, you went like 35 weeks or 34 weeks, you carried your daughter. I did. So my husband and I decided after we met with a few doctors that the best place for me and to have the surgery and to deliver our daughter was at Duke. Um, I think he's the best neurosurgeon in the world. His name's uh, Dr. Friedman. And so we ended up choosing him. So I moved to North Carolina, Durham area in August, like August 15th. And then my husband came on the 30th. And then I ended up delivering JT September 20th. And I had brain surgery October 20th. Wild. So wild. And then, so what's interesting to me is after birth, you went in, you went into surgery three weeks after, right? Four. Four weeks after you gave birth. And when you told me that, I was thinking about, gosh, I mean, one month after giving birth to Oliver, I was in the thick of postpartum. I was exhausted pumping at night, pumping all day, nursing all day. Um, so things haven't changed now. <laughs> Basically it's been like that ever since. And, and just scared, scared to be a new mom, you know, like the, you're in this like deep, dark ocean and there's no one really to guide you other than maybe my mom came to help me, but 
you know, it's, it's as a mother, it's your own journey. And then on top of that, navigating, going into brain surgery with a new daughter, the, the codependency and the responsibility of mothering a new child and a husband and a family and having so much on the line, you know, it really like is, I can't imagine how that felt. Yeah, for me, the hardest part was I had my daughter at 35 weeks. I tried my hardest to like keep her in as long as possible, but by the time it got to about 32 weeks, I wasn't even sure like I could make it to 35. Like the whole right side of my face was drooping. If I went on a walk, my husband had to like hold me because I would just veer off. Like I had no sense of balance. I had no sense of like anything. Uh, I couldn't control my body as well as I wanted to. So that's when the doctor decided, okay, 35 weeks. This is like the furthest you can push. And it's the safest for JT. So in my mind, I had convinced myself, if I make it to 35 weeks, which I'm going to make it to 35 weeks, then she's going to be fine. But when I had her, um, I went under general anesthesia, which is crazy. And when I woke up from anesthesia, um, they said, JT's in the NICU. She's okay, but she's going to probably have to spend some time there. She's having trouble breathing when she came out. She swallowed a lot of fluid, and we're just going to check to make sure everything's okay. And that week that she was in the NICU was by far the hardest thing like I've ever done. I felt like I failed. I felt like I couldn't protect her, even though I was suffering and I was trying to get through my own medical battle. I felt like by having her at 35 weeks, I had failed her that she was in the NICU. So I think for me, that guilt and that... Um, the mom guilt, the pressure that you put on yourself to be perfect for your child and to give them just the best chance and the healthiest chance. I think that pressure like really got to me and I wasn't, I was not in a good place knowing that she was. It's interesting because I was thinking about that um, coming into this conversation because you've been under the most pressure any athlete could ever be under. And the pressure of motherhood and being responsible for this little individual. What, what's the difference between that pressure and was one harder than the other? So the pressure of being an athlete, I feel like there is a ton of pressure and there. There's always like a spotlight on you and there's a, a responsibility carry. That's like, you know, I have to be the best always like every practice, every game, every, everything I do, I have to be the best. And I feel like I've carried that as forever, like being an athlete. Like I've always wanted to be the best at everything, even when I'm not, not the best, but like, that's what I've always done. But in motherhood, what I've realized is with JT, like, I don't have to be, I want to be the best mother, but I don't have to be the best, but I want her to be the best. So like, I want her to have the best care. I want her to have the best chance. I want her to have the best food. I want her to have the best breast milk, even if I was only allowed to pump for two weeks before I went to brain surgery. Like, I was trying every trick in the book, like avocados, oatmeal, how much breast milk could I get? Because I was so 
adamant that she had my breast milk that was the best for her, that she was going to grow the best if she had that. And right. I feel like still to this day, it's like everything I do for JT is like, no, I want her, I want her to have the best of everything. And I feel like that's the difference is, yeah, I would sacrifice for my team, don't get me wrong. But I feel like at the end of the day, like my sacrifice for the team was so I also won. Like I wanted to win. Right. Um, and I think with your child, like it really doesn't become about you at all. You just want them to grow and thrive and be the absolute best that they can be. Totally. I was talking to another girlfriend of mine about a similar thing and saying one of the challenges of motherhood is that it's this selfless endeavor and there is no trophy or there's no really goal because the child keeps growing and you keep just like shifting and moving around and trying to, you know, get them to the right class and get them to the right team and get them to this lesson or, or nothing right now, like in quarantine, what are we doing? I don't know. Is he doing the right thing in quarantine? But like the goals shift. And so there is no trophy or award and, um, that at coming from an athlete's background myself is, and that's the way that my, and I think our culture's mind is set that we are always, you know, what's your next goal? What's your next step? Um, and I'm sure you hear that a lot now too. Um, I, it's like, keep my child alive. Is that a good one? <laughs> you know, but it's interesting to like, not have that, um, gold medal or trophy. And you're, yeah, I, think, I think that's, it, that's hard. And I, I tell people all the time, like, I am not meant to be a stay at home mom. Like that's for sure. Yeah. And I feel like I see women who do it and who are so great at it. And I'm like, I wish, and then I find myself comparing myself to them. Like, I wish I had that. I wish <laughs> I had that in me, like that I could do that great of a job, like staying at home with her all the time and everything. But I think it's also just like the realization, like your child is going to thrive and grow if you are also thriving and growing. And if that means you're a stay at home mom and you're thriving and that, then I think that that's wonderful. But if you're not and you want something different, I think that's okay. And I think your child sees that and they respect that and they, they just kind of follow you. So I think that was really hard for me and it still is like JT's three she's went to school three days a week and I still have this guilt of like, am I abandoning her? If I chase my dream, am I letting her down? If I decide that I want to do something different or maybe I don't get to pick her up from school and drop her off, from, drop her off of school, you know, like all of these things go through my mind. Like I'm going to damage her in some way when it's like, no, your children are resilient. And I have to remind myself of that. And, and they thrive off of you and mm -hmm. your happiness too, and your really your fulfillment. And I yeah. think that that's still a learning process for me. Girl, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir. I'm like, yep. Mm -hmm. I'm so <laughs> glad this is recorded. So glad. It's true. You know, I feel like for me, I can relate to what you're saying. Not every mom has to, to feel that way. There are certainly like all different types of parenting styles. Um, but I just feel like 
for a long time, I was almost a martyr and was like, I'm going to do this and this and this with Ollie. And then he's going to go here and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be a stay at home mom and I don't need any help. It's okay. I got it. No, like you don't have to do anything for me. I'll take care of myself. I got, got the dishes done. I've got the meals. I've got the laundry. I'm do this. And then my girlfriend got on the phone with me and I told her this whole thing. And I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing great. Like I am really, I just have radically accepted this situation that I'm in. And I don't know, a month later, I had like had a nanny helping me out. I had like cleaning ladies three times a week, like the complete opposite of what I initially set out um, thinking I was going to do. And, um, and I realized I'm privileged to say that. Uh, and she called me and she's like, so what happened? Like the last time we spoke, you gave me this big pep talk that you were like, stay at home momming and like rocking out and doing great. And I was like, honestly, I cracked one day. I just woke up and I walked out into this room, like a complete psycho and told Matt, I'm done. That's it. Like, that's it. I'm, I'm the type of person that's like all or nothing. That's it. There's no in between. And I just, I, I just, stopped, uh, stopped like momming almost. And I ran myself into the ground and Matt was like, we need to get some help. Uh, we need to get the, a nanny, find someone to come in. She doesn't have to live here or anything. She just will come in and help you. She doesn't have to be proficient in five different languages and know like Mandarin. Um, so like, it's cool, right? Like she doesn't need to be constantly doing Montessori toys with him all the time and teaching him all of like the ABCs. Like she can just play. Yeah. And, you know, like I started to do things like I just picked up random things, tennis lessons, and I went to work out with my girlfriends and started filling my cup up. And let me tell you, I was so happy. I was the happiest I'd ever been. And I felt before this journey, before choosing to get help, I felt guilty and I felt like people were going to judge me, my family you know, like the generations before me who military family who raised two children when husband was in Vietnam and, you know, like, well, I did it. Like, why, why do you, why, why aren't you doing it? And, and that's like sad that Ollie like sees you away. And I'm like, no, like it's good because I'm, if I didn't know, and this is one of the things I like to um, remind myself of is this idea of unlearning what is untrue. So if I didn't know what was going on and how other moms thought, like, what would I do every day? Would I just accept the help and consider it normal? And would I like spend an hour, two hours, three hours away from my child? Like, how would I breastfeed? Would I continue on? Would I stop? How would I sleep train? How would I do all these things? Would I ask for help? And so like that whole idea of unlearning what is untrue about motherhood is so powerful because it can be like such a, a journey full of judgment and guilt if you let it and allow that to, to be that way. Absolutely. And I think about our, the generations before us and I think about even my mom, my mom's super supportive, but like 
I didn't have JT latch on because I could only breastfeed for two weeks. And then I had a wean. I was getting on a table. I was going to have a 10 hour surgery. They're like, you can't leak. Like it's unsanitary. We need you to be dry. So two weeks was like the max. And I made the decision that I didn't want her to latch on. I was just going to pump and feed because I also needed to sleep at night. So my husband needed to be able to feed her at night. And I could see, not that there was disappointment. My mom understood, but like, she was so worried about my bond with the baby. Like she was so worried about my bond with JT. And breastfeeding was something that like, I feel like I grieved when I realized I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed her until she was a year or two years or whatever. Right. That was something that was like hard on me. And I could see my mom and I was like, I learned that from my mom and not in a bad way. She breastfed us and it was wonderful, but right. that was what I learned. But also what I learned from the generations before us is mental health was not talked about. Right. So like these women were doing it then hats off to them because they're phenomenal women. Yeah. But they might not have been doing it well, like mentally well. They might have kept us alive and, you know, did it, but they were sacrifice, sacrificing a lot of their mental health for it. And I feel like now that we know and we're aware and mental health is, is an issue and talked about and not so swept under the rug I feel yeah. like it's our our job to take care of ourselves so our kids know and we break that cycle we unlearn that cycle of suck it up and get over it yeah sweep it under the rug yeah yeah I feel that I think my one of my last posts on Instagram was about getting help and seeking therapy because this whole quarantine has me so anxious about even with all the meditations and the well-being and mindfulness, like it's still, I still have extreme anxiety that I deal with. And there's so much to, when you think about the future and we can't always live in this present moment, although it's nice. Um, anyway, I was talking about getting help and, um, I spoke with my mom about it and I, I was explaining um, like how I was going to pay through the HSA and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, um, well, let me, let me refer you to someone else because she's an athletic director at a university or like the associate, I don't know, one of those things and um, <laughs> PhD in positive psychology. Okay cancer survivor, but PhD in positive psychology. And the interesting thing is she wants to refer me to a therapist, but she's never ever been to a therapist in her life. And I was like, mom, I'm good. Like I got this. Thank you so much. But that's what you're talking about is like, I'm not saying that she's emotionally numb or there it's like bad and I'm good. I'm just saying our generation is different and it's not a bad thing to get help from someone who can help you. It's, not, you know? it's really not a bad thing. At not all. a bad thing. No. Yeah. Especially just like navigating these times even. And like you said, it's triggering for people and the anxiety. Yeah. And what if they're not in a healthy relationship or home or they're a single mother, or they lost their job. They're struggling to figure out how to make ends meet. Like this is, Oh, this is a very scary time for so many people. It is. And I feel like it's okay. I feel like mental health is 
is so important for not just your children, but just for yourself to get through the day. Yeah, totally. Totally. So when you came out of your brain surgery, which is so crazy even saying to me, um, because there's so many pieces of that and I don't want to gloss over like these important emotional moments. Um, so feel free to stop me if you want to share, but when you came out, what, what were the side effects of like post-surgery and what did you have to overcome and what are you still overcoming? So they had told me before brain surgery, it's crazy. You go, I think two days before I went two days before, cause I checked into the hospital a day before and you go two days before and you literally have station. So like I went to like cardiac, I went to, you know, every part of the body that could be affected and they each tell you worst case scenario. So my husband's with me and I'm hearing worst case scenario. When you wake up, you could be on a vent and you might not come out of it. So maybe we'll put you in a medically induced coma if X, Y, and Z happens. So just be prepared. You know, who do you want to make decisions for you? What do you, you know, blah, 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 blah. So I leave the hospital thinking worst case scenario this all of these things could happen so on the car ride home i'm trying to tell my husband like if x y and z happen he's like what are you talking about right did you not just sit with me through and he said i didn't listen to one thing that they said because i knew that i know that it's not going to happen and i'm like oh my gosh (laughs) because in my mind everything that they told me i'm like it's going to happen or it might happen. It's very it's a possibility. So I was trying to prep for that. So when I went into surgery, um, I was very calm. I was very at peace. I had told the, my surgeon, I was like, I've been praying for you. And he said, thank you. I need like all the prayers I can get. And I went into surgery totally like calm. And I remember like falling asleep, totally calm. And I woke up from surgery and I was so thirsty. And my my husband and my sister, they still laugh at me because she said, after water, and I took a drink, and I looked at them, and I, I had, like, a list, and I was like, it's not quenching. And like, <laughs> they said, they didn't want to laugh at me, but they, they were like, it was so funny. It is funny. <laughs> I woke up, and they tell me they kept all my nerves intact, all – I had 10 out of 12 cranial nerves wrapped in my tumor. And the doctor says, great news. We kept all nerves intact, but you still have tumor in your head. So we got about 90, 95% of it out. You still have a couple millimeters of tumor left on your brainstem, your basal artery, things that we didn't want to touch. Um, So you still have it. So for me, that was a letdown. Like hearing that, I thought, okay, I, I thought they could get it all. And then I couldn't see, I didn't have my contacts in, but they told me your eye is crossed and you're not showing any signs of hearing in your right ear. But they're like, it could come back. Your, your nerves are, you know, they're all intact so that it, it could, you know, it could come back. And so waking up and just feeling like, okay, I'm alive. I was so grateful. And then it was like a slow process of like maybe on the third day I looked in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, like my eye is really actually crossed. Like I, it's all the way in here. Like I can't, 
no wonder why I can't see. Um, they had kept a patch over it because they had said they were going to try maybe patching my eyes to see if the muscle would move back or if the once the nerve started to heal. So I feel like then me not being able to hear, that was weird, but I was like, you know what, I can live with that. Um, but those were the main side effects and I had no balance. So when they said, before we can let you leave ICU, you have to be able to walk. Um, I looked at my husband and I'm like, take the catheter out, I'm going to walk. And I couldn't walk. And so I had two people, a nurse and um, another person on the other side of me holding me and I felt like I was kind of like floating on a wave. And as an athlete, I think not being able to walk was probably the hardest thing. Um, because in my mind, I was mentally sound. I was telling myself to walk and I couldn't walk. I didn't have the balance. I didn't have anything. And so it took about, I would say for me to walk fully on my own, comfortably, not like everyone was trying to like, I would say it took two like full weeks for me to feel comfortable walking. You were in the hospital for two weeks? So actually I was only in the hospital two days. Okay. I, they were like amazing. Who'd you pay off? <laughs> I didn't. I just did everything. I was like, dang it, take out this catheter. I'm walking. So, <laughs> Crawling. Yeah. And so they let me, they ended up letting me leave. I took no pain meds. I didn't have any pain. That's the crazy thing about the brain. You don't have pain. Like the pain receptors in the brain, the nerves. So it's not painful. I was on a ton of steroids. So I was super puffy. Yeah. I was like to shrink. There was swelling obviously from surgery in my brain. I was like to shrink it back down. So I would say the steroids were probably the hard, a hard part because I was very angry. Like roid rage is real y'all. I did not know that. It's real. <laughs> I was seeing steroids. So I was like very just like upset. But after I could walk, I would say like the next thing was my the right side of my face and my right eye was crossed the right side of my face. It didn't work. So when you noticed like your eye was crossed, let's say three days after,